Tell me. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so, but before we kind of dig in, this morning we're going to look at Psalm 37. Um, I just, yeah, I'm going to try not to keep my back to you. Um, but before we dig into that, I wanted to just give a little bit of an intro to the Psalms. So, most of you probably know the Psalms is this huge chunk um, of the Old Testament. So, there's 150 um, different chapters to it. Um, but it's helpful, I think, for us to understand a little bit about, about what the Psalms are before we kind of delve in. Um, I don't know about you, but do you have music that you go to um, when you're in different moods? Um, yes. When you're happy, summer music. Um, athlete, Vehicles and Animals, great summer album. Um, album, sign of my age, um, not playlist. Um, you know, there are probably GIF songs or playlists or albums that you go to when you're kind of feeling down in the dumps, when you're sad, when you need lifted up. Um, I, every now and again, I need a good dose of wailing guitars and electric blues that kind of fuses that um, gritty reality with hopefulness. Um, and I think even when we have, when we feel down, when we're sad, there are songs that we go to that kind of lift us up. And, and I know I've had some of those that, that I've gone to over the years. Um, and I guess that's what the Psalms are. In a sense, the Psalms are, the, are a songbook um, full of different emotions that we go to um, when we're in all those different places. Um, there's a great conversation between Eugene Peterson and Bono um, on the Psalms, uh, and Bono describes his first encounter um, with the Psalms being in a Church of Ireland church um, growing up, and he said, great words, shame about the tunes. Um, and Eugene Peterson, a little bit more thoughtfully and profoundly, um, talks about how the Psalms train us in honest prayer, and he goes on and he says, in the Psalms, the primary use of prayer isn't just for expressing ourselves, but it's about how we become ourselves, and that we cannot do that alone, but we can only do that in community with other people. So there's something about the Psalms that, that aren't just about us on our own, but are about us in community. And that's why I kind of love this setup, even though it's really awkward, because I've got my back to you know, yeah, It's probably the best aspect of me, actually. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I love it because we're looking at each other's faces um, and you see each other and there's that sense of family and community as we kind of sit here. Um, and so Eugene Peterson goes on and he talks about how the Psalms are full of metaphor um, and that the Psalmists use metaphor to lead us into this world of the unseen stuff, that lead us into this world of faith and guilt and God and what goes on in our minds and what goes on in the supernatural world um, and that they call up lions and snares and dirt to talk about sin, sun, and shade, um, that they use king to address God. They use all this imagery of trees and mountains and lambs uh, to designate lives that are blessed with God, that there's not a single psalm that's not full of metaphor um, or metaphors. And so as we come to the psalms, we need to understand that. We need to understand some of the imagery um, that goes on. And Eugene Peterson goes on to talk about how the Psalms are part of something bigger, that we don't just understand them in isolation, but we understand them as part of the whole of Scripture and this whole 65 other books um, that make up what we call the Bible, um, that make up the story of God in the world, um, and that we understand them within that context. So the Psalms are song, they're poetry, they're metaphor. We understand them in the context of the whole of Scripture. Um, and they're quoted so much throughout some of the rest of Scripture, particularly in the New Testament. Um, so the Psalms are made up of all sorts of different songs. Um, and I guess they are all songs because they were all designed to be sung. Um, so that's one of the things I think that we find hard when we kind of come 
by ourselves, with our Bible, with our printed word, um, to something that was designed to be sung and designed to be sung in community, um, designed to be sung in a place where there's um, call and response, where there are choirs, um, where there's an altar, where there's incense, where there's all this noise going on, um, or songs that were designed to be sung by people as they went on their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem, as the Jews used to do. Um, so when we come to the Psalms, it's helpful to, to understand a little bit of that background. Um, there's an Old Testament scholar called Walter Brueggemann, um, great name, um, who talks about the Psalms in terms of these three different movements. And he says there are Psalms of, of orientation. Um, so Psalms were, that help us orientate ourselves in the world, that talk of a well-ordered world, um, that are full of joy and delight. And then there are also a lot of psalms of disorientation. Um, so those kind of songs that talk about hurt and suffering and rejection and that confusion and the sense of dislocation that we feel when everything seems to fall apart, when everything that we believed in or everything that we thought suddenly isn't there. And that's the psalms are full of those. And then he also talks about there being psalms of reorientation or new orientation, um, where joy breaks through despair and where we see God at work. And you see that in some of the Psalms. The Psalmist starts off um, kind of in depression um, and then finishes up praising God as there's this kind of reorientation. Um, Brueggemann says that the Psalms invite us to face the darkness honestly and address the one who overcomes the darkness and promises to be with us in the darkness. I think those are incredibly powerful words, that there's a rawness and an honesty in the Psalms that sometimes we miss in church life, and sometimes we can be a little bit, there can be a little bit of pretense, and we can pretend that everything's okay, when actually it's not, that the Psalms are just real and raw, um, and full of that disappointment and emotion. Um, and they articulate the whole of Israel's speech um, to God, from praise to what seems like sometimes unspeakable anger, um, and doubt, and they draw our whole lives under God's rule where everything, where every detail is submitted to him. So for ancient Israel, the Psalms were the center of their nation's worship. Um, they didn't read them on pages like we do, and they memorized them, they sang them, they were the soundtrack to their life with God. Um, some of them can only be understood in, that, in those kind of contexts, and it, it's helpful um, to know that as we come to some of the Psalms. You know those ones that there's particularly a few of them um, that have this kind of repetition, you know, and there's the same line over and over and over again, and you're kind of reading it, and you're like, yeah, 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 okay, I get the picture. Um, but what that is, that was a call and response. So the, the leader at the front said the first line, and the congregation sang the second. And so it starts to make sense of some of those when we kind of understand that, that wider context. So the Psalms speak to all of our experiences and all of our emotions. Sometimes, um, yeah, that's the stuff that we're not so good at. But there is, as I said, that rawness and that honesty. And so they begin in Psalm 1 with this contrast that flows through the whole of the Psalms, this contrast between what it looks like to live life with God at the center um, or what it looks like, what it looks like um, not to live like that. So kind of the delighting in God and the wicked are two of the kind of the metaphors that they use that flows the whole way through. Um, so there are all sorts of different ones Psalm 37 that we're going to look at this morning is what's called a wisdom psalm. So it's a bit like Proverbs. It's full of all these kind of different sayings um, of wisdom, funnily enough. Um, and it's, a, it's an acrostic. So it's, if you read it in Hebrew, um, which I didn't, 
um, you would discover that every, every phrase starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is probably something to do with how, we, how they memorized it um, or how they sang it. It makes it much easier um, that way. Um, so what, what I'd like us to do is to, is to listen to Psalm 37. So, so Joy and Graham are going to read it to us. Um, and as they do, um, I just want you to listen for, for what jumps out to you, what's God saying um, as you hear it. There's a lot in it. It's a long psalm. And I deliberately chose to kind of read the whole thing because um, there will be different things that will kind of speak to, to different people. Um, so let's hear um, the words of Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow and bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The days of the blameless are known to the Lord, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies will be like the beauty of the fields. They will vanish vanish like smoke. Continuing to read at verse 21. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, but those he curses will be cut off. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be blessed. Turn from evil and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever. For the Lord loves the just 
and he will not forsake his faithful ones. They will be protected forever, but the offspring of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous man utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks what is just. The law of his God is in his heart. His feet do not slip. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, seeking their very lives. But the Lord will not leave them in their power or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a green tree in its native soil. But he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless. Observe the upright. There is a future for the man of peace. But all sinners will be destroyed. The future of the wicked will be cut off. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Brilliant. Thanks. So as you, as you listen to that, what, what stood out to you? What, what did you kind of hear? What, any words or phrases jump out to you? Shout them back. Delighting. Tick. <laughs> yep. Anything else? Be still and wait patiently. Yeah. Hope. Hope and wait for the Lord. Keep His way. Yep. Yep. Yep, so the stuff about the wickedness and the evil, yep. Yep. Where is it? Oh, who is the evil? Um, what's the meaning of it? Yeah, well, I sp I'll talk a little bit about that um, in a little bit, but yeah. Um, yeah, and so there are lots of things. Um, like, this is one, it's a long psalm. We're not going to go through it verse by verse. You'll be very relieved because you'll be sitting here all day. Um, and there is so much in it, and there is that sense that as we come to these sorts of passages that God will speak to us in different ways and different, some of those different words and phrases will speak differently into each of our kind of hearts and minds and souls. Um, and I just, I want to concentrate on sort of four of those things that, that flow together a little bit. So, so firstly, that phrase, do not fret. So in the NIV, um, it says in the first sort of eight verses, you hear, do not fret, do not fret, do not fret. And I guess in a context um, in the ancient Near East where the people of Israel were kind of living, they were in a context where the wicked seemed to be flourishing. Um, and so in the middle of that, when you look around and you see the people who do not follow your God, who are committing acts of evil, um, they're getting on ahead, they're getting ahead, and the people who are doing good are struggling. 
um, it's easy to want to jump in and try and do something about it yourself. Um, but the psalmist calls people, calls God's people not to fret, not to worry, um, not to be jealous, not to kind of jump in. Um, because he says the flourishing of the wicked is temporary. Um, it's like the spring grass that in the, in the Middle East um, jumps up with the rain, the, the rains that come in the spring um, that water the ground and the grass um, comes up um, thickly and green, vibrant grass, but then when the summer sun comes, it gets burned off um, and dries off, and he kind of says that that's what it will be for the wicked. Um, so he, he calls God's people not to worry, don't fret, because actually um, the wicked will not last. Um, and that's a really important kind of context piece in the midst of understanding this whole psalm, because that theme um, of the contrast of, of how the wicked are doing is what runs through it. And I guess for us, as we live in a world where, where image is reality, um, where social media rules, um, the psalmist, I think, has words for us when he tells us not to fret, um, not to bother our heads with the boosters, um, as the message says, um, and not to worry about those who climb the ladder and elbow their way to the top. Um, in the midst of competition and comparison, we're called not to cause ourselves strife by looking around at how others are doing, how they're getting ahead, how they're getting on, um, but instead we're called to bring every detail of our lives, to open up our whole lives um, before God, to keep nothing back because he is the one who will do what needs to be done. And it, it sounds easy to say that, um, and it's much harder in practice. Um, but, but what do we do instead? So what does the psalmist call us to do? Um, and the first thing that he calls us to do, I'm going to look at, is, is delight. Um, he calls us to delight in the Lord. Um, and we delight in lots of things. Um, there are, you know, particularly at the minute, um, probably lots of us are delighting in ice cream, <laughs> um, in the sun. Um, there are so many things that we all delight in. And we show that delight in so many different ways. I mean, I delight in watching football, and so I make time in my week to catch up with the World Cup, um, to squeeze it in, um, in all sorts of different ways. Um, where's Nick's not here? Um, Helena's husband has, has an additional computer in his office um, that is just for streaming the World Cup. <laughs> Genius. Um, should I have said that? <laughs> Um, it's okay, his boss knows. Um, and so there's something about um, what does it mean for us to delight in the Lord? And I, and I guess that's what we've been doing this morning um, as we worshipped, as we praised God, as we declared who he is, as we reminded ourselves that he is faithful, that he is good. Um, that was delighting in the Lord. Um, to delight in God means that we need to know him. Um, it, needs, it means that we need to learn to be still and to wait patiently for him. Um, it means, as Jesus talks about in John 15, um, that we need to learn to, uh, that word that he uses about abiding, about sitting and resting um, and listening and waiting. Delighting means believing the lines that we've sung this morning um, about who God is. It means believing that he is the one who sets us free from all of the things um, that hold us captive. It means believing that he is the one who offers constant grace, who loves us as we are, and isn't content to leave us that way. The one who adopts us and welcomes us home into his family, into the very community of the Trinity. It means taking time to worship him for who he is and not just what he does for us. 
It means taking the time to see his fingerprints in every detail of the world around us, to stop and pay attention to those moments of grace that so often we miss if we don't stop because we're rushing on. And it can be easy to be cynical. Um, and I think as Irish people, we're very good at cynicism. Um, and it's kind of an ingrained part of our culture. Um, and in some ways, it's cool to be cynical as well. Um, and sometimes cynicism is a way of avoiding reality. Sometimes cynicism is a way of running away and of settling for less than is an offer. Um, C.S. Lewis is this famous quote um, that I think sums it up really well. And he says, and I think this applies to cynicism when we think about being cynical as opposed to trying to delight in who God is. Um, he talks about playing with mud pies in the slums when the offer of a trip to the seaside um, is there for us to be taken up. So don't fret, um, don't be cynical, instead delight. And the, that verse goes on to say, delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart um, or he will grant you the desires of your heart. And so which begs the question, what, what are the desires of our hearts? Um, what are the things that, that deep down we long for, that we wanna see that with all of our being we're passionate about? Um, that we long to see come to pass, we long to see happen, um, that we dream of. And I think lots of us have, there are very different ones. This week, um, I got asked by someone what my holy frustration is. Um, and I was a bit taken aback, so it was like, ooh. Um, but actually, the more I thought about it, it was a brilliant question. Um, and it was actually one that I sort of feel we need to talk more about. We need to talk about what are our holy frustrations? What are the things that you know, those deep down godly desires that God has planted in us um, that he wants us to bring about. We need to share those and encourage each other in those. And I think this verse about he will grant us the desires of our hearts is one that for me, I feel, gets taken out of context a lot. Um, and, and sometimes we kind of use a little bit to kind of say, oh, God will grant us the desires of our hearts. And it doesn't really matter what those desires are. Um, you know, and it's because it's not just a wish list where, where God gives us um, anything that we want. You know, those desires are directly related to that first part of the verse. It's directly related to delighting in God and having our heart and will aligned with his, with opening up all of who we are to him, um, as the New Living puts it. And it can't be understood without delighting in God. Our desires and what we delight in are inextricably linked. We can't separate them. I might desire to live healthily and be very fit, but if I delight in breakfast rolls and takeaways um, and hate exercise, that's not gonna happen. Um, that desire is not gonna come to much. Um, although you can't beat sausages in the morning. Um, so what we delight in shapes our desires, and that's why as we come to worship um, this morning and as we come to declare who God is, is so important because it reshapes our thinking um, it helps to remind us of the truth and the reality in which we live. Um, and the Sermon on the Mount, I think, has so much resonance with this passage, um, or with, with Psalm 37, and, and Jesus directly quotes from it a couple of times. Um, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about um, us not serving two masters, um, and that where our heart is, there our treasure is also. And that's linked into this whole idea of, of delight and desire. What we desire also demonstrates what we delight in. Um, there's a, I'm just gonna have a drink. I, which is already open, as I tried to open it. 
Um, <clears throat> there's a guy, James Smith, who, who's a writer, um, and he suggests that actually at the heart of following Jesus, at the heart of discipleship, um, is the reorientation of our desires. Um, and sometimes in the church here in the West, in Ireland, in Europe, in the States, um, we tend to be quite about the head. We tend to be quite all about how we think. Um, and it's all about changing how we think and getting our thinking straight. Um, and he kind of suggests that, that discipleship is about, yes, knowing and believing, and even more so, it's a matter of desire. It's a, that discipleship is about what we hunger and what we thirst for. Um, and that's a really telling, I guess, indicator of our discipleship and, and of our following Jesus, because what we hunger and what we thirst for um, shows what we delight in. So delighting in God, in his character, in his faithfulness, in his love, his grace, his compassion, his justice, his defense of the poor, his defense of the orphan, the widow, um, his forgiveness reshapes and reorientates and refocuses get some more rewords in there, um, our desires. So our desires both for ourselves, um, our desires for others, and our desires for the city, um, our desires for the country that we live in. And I think our desires change over time, and lots of our desires are a real mixed bag because some of them are, are really God-given things that, that need to be brought to birth and need to, be kind of, need to come to fruition that God has planted deep within us that, that we need to take hold of um, and allow him to kind of pull out. And there are also desires that that aren't so great um, and that need reshaped and need refocused. And all of those change depending on our life circumstances and our situations. Because um, I know a lot of my desires when I was younger are, are quite different to, um, to what my desires are now. Now as a parent of two small children, my desire is for a good night's sleep um, and not much else. <laughs> <coughs> um, but, but I think as well when I was younger, you know, when you're in that kind of place where your identity is shaped by what people think of you, where your identity is shaped by how popular you are or how many, I don't even understand Snapchat, but I know there's this kind of stuff in Snapchat about, you know, unless you're kind of on it all the time, your rating kind of falls and becoming old and decrepit. Um, but there's something about that, that that creates this need for popularity that, that says to people, you need to be popular, you need to be up here to kind of be accepted. And I think that's something that's so pervasive in our society, whereas I think as we get older, um, we get, God brings us a little bit more to that place where as we become more secure in who he's made us to be, and um, as we become a bit more secure in being his children, um, our desires start to shift and change a little bit. And I guess as part of that, our Heavenly Father is interested in every detail um, of our lives. He longs for us not to hold back in bringing those desires to him. He longs for us to wait, to trust, and delight in him, and he will direct our steps because he delights in every detail of our lives, which is how the New Living um, puts that verse. And just as I love the stories um, that my son, Colm, who's almost four, tells about diggers and tractors and all sorts of things that um, pass into the realms of bizarre and fantastical, um, but I love listening to those stories. You know, I have that weird thing where it's amazing. I love watching him sleep. Um, there's something so incredible with that. How much more so does our Heavenly Father delight in us as he looks at us and he looks at what he's given us and what we've become and who he wants us to be? He looks at us in delight in another passage in one of the prophets that talks about how he delights over us with singing. Um, 
And that's the reality that we need to remember as we acknowledge who God is and as we learn to delight in him, um, that he also delights in, in us. And so we've kind of talked about delights and desires, and, and it's all very well on one level, but how do those desires actually become realigned? How do we align those desires with, with who God is and what he's calling us to? Um, because it actually, it needs practice. It's something that needs practice. It's why we meet together in church every Sunday, because we need to constantly remind ourselves, because we forget who God is, who we are, what we're called to. Um, and so, I guess the next thing I want to talk about that is my kind of summary of, of a lot of this psalm, <laughs> just lumping it all into one big category, but is that God calls us to practice faithfulness. Um, there's a whole lot of jokes about um, the millennial generation, or there's a whole lot of stuff about the millennial generation at the minute and, and how they have no stickability and all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and it's really interesting because, you know, the younger generation, as I now feel that I'm not part of, um, have been shaped by their parenting, they've been shaped by all the influences around them, um, and so too we're shaped by all the influences around us, and so too the things that we do shape our desires and shape what we delight in. Um, and so if we choose um, to practice certain things, that will shape our lives in a certain way. Um, and if we choose to practice um, faithfulness to God's ways, then that will shape our lives in the direction um, of worshiping and delighting in our Heavenly Father. And so in Psalm 37, the psalmist talks about it in a lot of different ways. He talks about it in terms of committing our way to the Lord to delighting in the Lord, as we've talked about, to trusting in God and doing good, to being still and waiting patiently, to hoping in the Lord, to turning from evil and doing good, to being generous givers, to being wise and teaching right from wrong, and to keeping God's ways. And those aren't things that, that are easy. Um, you know, it's a, that's a long list of stuff, and this is, it's not about a, a list of things that we have to do. Um, but at the same time, um, when we're out of practice, those are things that don't come naturally. So the more we practice things, the more we practice those ways, the more they become habits, and the more those habits um, become a lifestyle. Waiting patiently um, and being still are not things that come easily to me. Um, one day they might, because um, I want to react. Um, so during the week, someone parked their car outside our house, um, right outside, and parked it really badly as well. Um, and it just made life a little bit more awkward for us, because it was harder to get Colm and Aris into the car and then out of the car, and I, being one of those reactionary people who's not good at waiting still and being patient, um, sort of went out and you know, was doing the disapproving looks around, just in case the person was around and could see, and would then subsequently move the car. Um, but, and I kind of looked and I noticed the tax disc was like a year and a half out of date and I was like, well, I can call the clampers um, because I am the sort of person who knows about the legalities of parking and has <laughs> done it before. Um, but, and in the midst of this, this Sam um, that I've been kind of sitting in for the last couple of weeks um, kind of came back to me and, um, and caught up with me and, and I started to think, you know, what does it mean for me to live faithfully? Um, what does it mean for me to wait patiently? Um, and it turns out the car belonged to a guy across the road, and then I kind of saw him come back, and it looked like there was actually something wrong with one of the wheels. Um, but then that evening, he moved the car. Um, and it's a really flippant example, um, but living faithfully is all about learning to practice the habits of the kingdom in the small things. It's about sweating the small stuff, as they kind of say. 
um, or sweating a lot at the moment. Um, and so practicing faithfulness to God's ways is rooted in that kind of time with him that overflows um, into what we do, that overflows into practicing his ways. And that's not something that we can do by ourselves. It's something that we need to learn to do together um, and do in community. And that's why we have connect groups, because it's about learning together um, to live out this, this life of following Jesus um, and of being part of God's kingdom. Um, There's a, a guy called Stanley Harbois who, who kind of describes um, what this looks like. He describes what it looks like for a people who live faithfully. Um, and he says there are people who are faithful to their promises, who love their enemies, who tell the truth, who honor the poor, who suffer for righteousness and thereby testify to the amazing community-creating power of God. Um, and that's the kind of community that I want to be a part of. That inspires me. Um, that fills me with hope. And I think as we think about the celebrations that we've had over the last couple of weeks here, about our 25 years, we've remembered what God has done and we want to see more. Um, we want to be one of those communities um, that practice faithfulness in this city so that we see people's lives change, so that we bring hope, so that we bring peace, so that we bring all the good things that God has to offer us. Um, and I guess that's what just the very last thing that, that I wanted to, to mention that really struck me from the psalm um, was how it talks about living generously. Um, so there's a couple of verses where it says, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Um, in verse 26, it talks about the righteous always being generous and lending freely. Um, and in verse 14, I guess the reverse of that, it says the wicked um, bring down the poor and the needy. Um, and we are children of a generous father who gave Jesus so that we could be adopted into his family, um, who a few weeks ago we heard gives us all things in Christ. And in a world which increasingly can be quite hostile and oppressive to the weak, to the stranger, um, where the phrases that we hear are about, you know, around Brexit, about taking back control, um, about my rights, about security. Um, the in the midst of that kind of world, the missionary God calls us to be people who are open-handed, um, that phrase gets used in Deuteronomy, and I love it as a description of being generous. He calls us to be open-handed and to be generous with everything we have, not just our money, because that's kind of the easy one, but with our time, but more so with our gifts and our skills and all of the things that he's given us, the relationships that he's given us, the experience that he's given us. Um, and I know that I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for the generosity of so many people in my life who have opened up their houses to me, who have... Um, helped in so many ways, who've invested in me, um, who pray for me regularly, who still send me texts to say, how are you getting on, how are you doing? Um, and we know the power of generosity in our own lives. And generosity is one of those things that's infectious, it's contagious. Um, so you know how if, you're, if you drive and if you're driving um, and you let someone out who's waiting to get out, what happens? the likelihood is that they'll then let someone else out. And there's this kind of chain reaction. So there's something about generosity um, that's contagious. And it's a discipline because we have to make choices to do that. We have to choose to think not just of ourselves, but choose to, to be generous towards others. Um, and we have so many gifts and talents and strengths 
Um, we have so many, so much incredible experience and ability within this family, the, the family that is St. Catherine's, um, that aren't for ourselves, but are for those around us. Um, and it excites me to think of how we, as a community, um, can use those to bless those around us, um, to help set other people free, to help them experience the generosity and the love and the peace and the care and all the things that we've experienced. And we sought, this week I was involved a little bit in a thing called Urban Soul, which was a few days of kind of service around the city and, and had different people very much offering the different skills they had, whether it was Haji, um, Amanda's husband, who's, who's a cartoonist, um, drawing a mural um, in a halfway house for families who are coming out of homelessness. And it was amazing just seeing the impact that that mural had, but not just the mural, but the conversations that he had um, and his ability to use and be generous um, with his abilities. And generosity is not just something for once a year. It's not just something for the kind of summer projects, um, but it's something for all year round. And it excites me to think of the impact for us as a community. I mean, we've, as we celebrated 25 years, we're celebrating a lot of the things that God has done in and through this as a community and as a family. And I'm excited to see what else he has for us to see because there is more and um, because there's so much potential in this room um, for us to make an impact um, for the sake of our God who wants to reconcile and bring healing and brokenness where there is hurt and division. And God is bringing his future, his kingdom into this world of disorientation, of disappointment and of frustration. He is bringing his shalom, his peace. So that verse where it talks about the man of peace or the one who, who wants peace, that word for peace isn't just the absence of conflict, but it's shalom and shalom means wholeness, fullness and flourishing. And that's what God has for us. That's what God wants for us. That's what God's kingdom is about. Um, it's about bringing God's shalom um, to those around us um, in our streets, um, in our neighborhoods, um, in our workplaces, everywhere we are. So as we delight in God, he reorientates our desires. As we practice faithfulness to his ways and generosity, God's kingdom breaks through. And it's not always easy, um, but as those verses at the very end of the psalm say, this spacious, free life is from God. It's also protected and it's safe. Strengthened by God, we are delivered from evil. When we run to him, he saves us. So God only calls us um, to what he demonstrates. So the one who has generously given us all things um, the one who has given us Jesus, the one who has given us his spirit, the one who gives us the power to live faithfully and generously um, only calls us to what he is already doing. He doesn't call us to do stuff by ourselves, but he calls us to join in um, on what he is doing. Um, and in that invitation in this psalm, I think he invites us to delight in him. He invites us to think about what does it mean for us to live faithfully and what does it mean for us to live generously? And so as we kind of finish, I want to ask you um, to think about how God is speaking to you um, through this psalm. Um, what's he calling you to? Um, what's the Spirit saying as you listen to those words? And so I'm going to read the psalm again to, to finish. Um, and I'm going to get Owen um, 
just to pray as we do that. And, and as I read it, I invite you to, to ask the Holy Spirit, um, what is it um, that you want to say? What is it that you're calling me to? Um, how are you speaking to me this morning? <clears throat>